Well, I'd invite you to grab a seat. Harrison and the band will be back uh, a little bit later. As, uh, as Josh and Sydney, Sydney said, my name is Chris. I'm one of the communicators here at Beyond Church. And uh, where we're going to start tonight as we begin to wrap up this series that we've been doing for the last four weeks is simply with this. Uh, the voices you believe will determine the future that you experienced. If you're brand new to series or you're brand new to Beyond or you're not sure what a series looks like in a, in a church context, uh, essentially what we do is we pick one big idea and we hang out on it for a number of weeks. We deep dive in it from a whole heap of different angles and we unpack and it's kind of like a little bit like a TV series. Every single week kind of connects to the first. And so we've been talking about this. And the reason we've been talking about this is because psychologists tell us that the average person has anywhere between 12 and 60,000 thoughts go through their head every single day. What that means is that you talk to you more than anyone else on the planet. The voices you listen to, the voices you rotate around in your head over and over again have the potential to determine the future you experience. Not because of some Instagram thing, but because if you tell yourself something long enough, if you tell yourself something day after day after day after day, you will begin to believe it. And that will begin to shape the future that you believe that you can experience and the future that you ultimately do experience. And so to kind of, um, to kind of sh uh, bring you up to speed, if you haven't been with us, I'll let you know where we've been. And if any of these parts interest you, you can jump onto our iTunes and you can listen to them. But here's the quick overview. In part one, what we said is we want you to spend some time capturing your thoughts. Because there's so many thoughts racing through our heads, but, but so often we actually don't know where those thoughts come from. Or actually, more importantly, what those thoughts are. So in part one, we said, hey, we want you to, to take some time to capture your thoughts, to document what those thoughts are and where you got those thoughts from. Then in part two, we said what we wanted you to do is discover what the one who created you says about you. In other words, we said, hey, what we want you to believe is, uh, or what we want you to, to discover is what God actually says about you. And the reason we said this is not necessarily because we wanted you to believe what God says about you, but we wanted you to compare that to what you say about you. Because if you're really honest, some of the things that you say about you, some of the ways that you talk to yourself, you would never talk to another human being that way. And so with part two, our aim was to, to get you to see what would God actually say to you and to compare that to what you say uh, to you. And then last week, what we said was that when, when you dig a little deeper, when you discover the reasons that you say the things that you do to yourself, you've got two options. One option is to make excuses for the reasons that you talk to yourself the way that you do. The other option is to make progress. And last week we said that you can make progress or you can make excuses, but you can't do both. And so last week we challenged you. We said, hey, we want you to face your fears. Begin to, to move past the fears that prevent you from addressing why you talk to yourself and begin to really see some progress. And tonight as we land the plane on this entire series, uh, what we're going to do is, is we're going to, I believe that this part is really the linchpin part of the entire series. See, all these three things are great. All these three things will help you address the way that you talk to yourself. All these three things will, will begin to help you change the future that you experience by addressing those voices. But tonight's part will, I believe that if you just apply these three things without tonight's piece, you'll get to a point. And when you get to this point, it'll almost be like you're, you're bumping up against an invisible barrier that you just can't seem to push through, and you're not sure why. 
And the reason will be is because as we begin to move forward and move forward and move forward, it all of a sudden shifts. Once you've captured your thoughts, you've discovered what, what God says about you and you've faced your fears, all of a sudden it gets to a point where you make progress and, and it becomes, am I really worthy to talk to myself in a new way? Do, do I really deserve to talk to myself in a new way? Like, like, I know my friends might deserve to talk to themselves in a new way. I know that my family might deserve to talk to themselves in a new way. I know other people who have experienced the same things that I've experienced, maybe done the same things that I've done, they actually deserve to experience a different future and to talk to themselves in a different way, but I don't. My story is different. And, and the truth is that all of us at some point or, or another in our lives have bumped up against this, have bumped up against this idea where we're kind of just like, you know what, I, I don't know if I deserve to. I don't know if I can. I don't know if I should. I don't, I don't know if I'm worthy enough to do it. And when that begins to happen, what happens is we tend to isolate ourselves from everyone. And we begin to say, you know what, my situation is so unique. My situation is the only situation like this that has ever happened. And the truth is that, that while you are unique, while you are one of a kind, your situations are not. Because there are people who have experienced the exact same things that you have experienced in life. And, and what happens when we, when we begin to believe that we're the only ones who have experienced this and we pull away? What actually, we get caught in this cycle of negative thinking. It's this cycle of negative thinking and it happens to all of us. Every single one of us have experienced this. There's a, there's a great psychologist, his name's Henry Cloud. He's prolific, he's written a whole heap of books, but Henry Cloud says that what negative thinking is, is actually a combination of three Ps. There are three Ps that kind of come together and they create this perfect storm for negative thinking. The first P is simply this, that it's personal. Negative thinking is always personal. You, you start with a problem, and, and it might be, you know, you're having difficulty with your finances. Or, or you're not quite sure how to resolve a tension or a conflict at work. Or you, you, you just seem to be struggling with this one particular subject at school and you're not quite sure how to move past it. But this negative thinking says, all of a sudden this is not a problem out there. This is a problem with me. Something's wrong with me. And if I was like him, it wouldn't happen to me. If I was like her... I wouldn't, be, I wouldn't be working this way. If, if, if I was like everyone else, I would be able to move past this and change the way that I think, but I can't. The other thing is that it's pervasive. It's pervasive because it, it, it begins to infiltrate every area of your life. It doesn't just say, you know what, I, I have trouble with conflict at work or, or I really struggle to, de to develop friendships at school or, in my, or at uni, all of a sudden it says, you're not good at developing friendships anywhere, anytime. You're not good at resolving conflict anywhere, anytime. You're actually, you just don't just struggle with maths or social science or whatever it is, you struggle with every subject. And then the final piece kind of draws it all together, it says it's permanent. It begins to say, you know, you know how you struggle with conflict? Well, you're always going to struggle with conflict. You know how you struggle to, to believe that you can overcome your past? Well, you're always going to struggle with that. You know how you, you're not sure whether, whether you deserve that guy, you deserve that girl, or whether, whether anyone would love you? Well, that's always going to be the case. No one, you'll never find anyone. It'll always be that way. And these three Ps come together, and what actually begins to happen is this, that we label ourselves. 
When these three Ps begin to come together, we, we begin to label ourselves and, and we begin to say things like, you know what? I'm just an angry person. That's me. That's the label that, that I have to give to myself. I'm angry all the time. It's permanent. I can't change it. Or, or maybe for some of you, you say something like, you know what? I'm a failure. That's just who I am now. That's my label and I, I'm just going to have to wear that. And then... Maybe some of you, it's different. Maybe someone spoke into your life and, they, and you started to believe, you know what, I'm ugly. And that's just going to be the label that I'm going to wear forever. And what happens is, is when we start to label ourselves, our labels become our story. And so now all of a sudden, it's not just a label I wear, but it's, it's my story. You know, I am, I'm dumb. That's my story. And that's all I am ever going to be. That's, that's part of who I am now. There's no way that, that I can change that. You know, I'm, I'm weak. Every single person that looks at me and, and they, when they ask what's going on, that's going to be my story. I'm weak. Maybe, maybe for some of you, and this one I, I kind of debated putting up, but I think it needs to be put up because it's, used, it's a word that's used so often. I'm a slut. And that's my, that's my label. And now that becomes my story. That's, that's who I am. And we begin to define ourselves by the labels we give us. And now all of a sudden, well, this is just my story. And I can't change that. And what we're going to look at tonight is an encounter, an interaction that occurred 2,000 years ago. And it's an interaction that was witnessed through the eyes of Jesus' best friend. Sounds weird to say that, right? But Jesus actually had a best friend. His name was John. John actually wrote a book about Jesus' life. It's kind of John's biographical account of Jesus' life. John called it John. Um, he wasn't, he, he wasn't, yeah, he was Jesus' best mate, but he wasn't very creative. And so John wrote this book uh, about uh, documenting Jesus' life, and he details this interaction. And we're going to explore this interaction tonight, but what happens in this interaction is a woman is given a label. And this was actually a label that she deserved. There are some of you sitting here tonight and some of the labels that you put on yourself, you don't deserve those labels. And there's no data and there's no empirical evidence to say that this, that label is actually part of your life. But for this story we're going to look at tonight, there was no question. This label was who this woman was. It was part of who she was. But Jesus actually steps in and he actually says, you know what, your label does not have to become your story. And there's a way that you can begin to change that. And we're going to explore that tonight so that your labels don't have to become your story. And we pick up from John's account, John, uh, in John 8 2, he says this, he says, early the next morning, he, that's Jesus, was back at the temple. So this is kind of the Jewish kind of cultural hub. Uh, a temple was slightly different to what we would experience a temple as today. You know, some of you think temple, you think church. Um, there would have definitely been areas like this in the Jewish temple, but it was a lot bigger. And so there was courtyards and there was places where people would gather. And so Jesus was kind of in one of those outer courtyards and he's hanging out with people. And what happens is a crowd soon gathered. People who were nothing like Jesus loved to lean into what Jesus was saying. And so there's these people all, all around Jesus who, who didn't believe what he believed, but they were like, I'm curious about what you've got to say. And they leaned in and Jesus sat down and he began to teach them. And as he's teaching them, he was speaking, the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery. So, I don't know if you've ever given a presentation, maybe at work you've given a meeting, uh, or sorry, you, you've run a meeting, 
or maybe you've run a small little presentation or you've given an oral at uni or school or something and that something just happens and it just completely throws you for a loop and you're just trying to regain your composure the entire time. Well, this is what happens to Jesus. He's sitting teaching a whole bunch of people and a woman half naked is being dragged through the courtyard behind him. And that would just throw me, but Jesus kind of just keeps on going and he keeps teaching the crowd. But then something changes and something happens. Because all of a sudden, the, the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees, they, they're not just randomly walking around with this woman. They make a beeline for Jesus. And they put her in front of the crowd. Now, we don't know what Jesus was teaching about, but John, John never records it. It was probably lost. I mean, chances are, if someone bought a half-naked woman in a sheet and just stuck it up in the front of where you were getting taught, you'd be like, okay, well, I guess the lesson's over now. It's time to, time to move on. And this is what the, the religious leaders say. Teacher, so they're talking to Jesus, they said to Jesus, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. Now, you guys have lives, so you know, you, you go out and, and you live your life, and, but I don't, so I, um, I just drink coffee and read my Bible most of the week. And it's always perplexed me, right? How did they know where to catch her? Like, I've always thought about this, like, like how, did the re- how did these religious leaders know where to catch this woman, like, in the act of adultery? And, and and if they knew where to catch her, why didn't they stop her? Why didn't they just like go to the dude and, and go to her and sit them down and be like, hey, we know what you're about to do, but that's not going to be good for your marriage. It's not going to be good for your marriage. Maybe we, you should bring your partners in and we could do like a little premarital counseling. We could help you out. You know, but, but no, they, they decided to wait to catch her in the act. And for some of you, the, the ways that you talk to yourself and the voices that you replay over and over in your head are similar to this. They never say, "Mm, you probably shouldn't do this. This is probably not great for you, but they always tell you when you've been caught. They always tell you when you mess up. And they always remind you, oh, well, I guess it's permanent now. Oh, well, I guess it's a problem with you. This happens to you all the time, and that negative thinking starts to spiral when we listen to those voices. And this this is how they go on. They say, the law of Moses says to stone her. We should address that, right? This is obviously bound by culture. So this was, this was a cultural thing. We obviously don't do that anymore. But the thing is, right, they're, they're teachers of religious law. The, teachers of, the, the, the law of Moses actually did not say to stone her. The law of Moses said to stone both of them. Takes two to tango. There was two in the sheets. We should stone both of them. That's what the law says. But these, these teachers of religious law kind of twisted it. And John, John tells us why they, they began to twist it, because they, they wanted to ask Jesus, what do you have to say about that? What do you have to say? And the reason they asked it is because they were trying to trap him into saying something they could use against him. Because at that point in time, the, uh, the Jewish people were under occupation by the Romans. And so you could not execute someone unless you had approval from the Roman authorities. And what the Jewish leaders were doing was they were asking Jesus to approve someone's execution, essentially. And so they tried to trap him because if Jesus said, yeah, go ahead and stone her, they would have been like, aha, you're not listening to the Romans. But if Jesus had said, no, 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 don't stone her, what they would have said is, aha, you're not listening to the law of Moses. And so they had leveraged this woman's life to prove a point. And then it goes on. Jesus stooped down. And it's almost as if like Jesus was just about to like pick up a stone and he's like, yeah, this is, I guess the law of Moses says it, so I, I better do it. 
What we find is Jesus stooped down and then he wrote in the dust with his finger. And John, John never tells us what Jesus wrote. But he tells us that the Pharisees got annoyed and the religious leaders because they kept demanding an answer. Hey, you're going to stop playing in the dirt? You're going to stop playing in the... You, we asked you a question. What are we going to do with this woman? And, they, uh, and so he stood up again and this is what he said. All right. In other words, go for it. Pick the biggest stone you have and throw it at her. But, some of you freaked out there for a second, hey, because you were like, oh, Jesus said that, really? But, but, in other words, in other words, there's more to the story. What Jesus is essentially saying is, you know what, yeah, that's, that's true, partially, you missed the whole law thing, we'll, we'll worry about that later, but there's a condition for the condemnation. There is no doubting that she's an adulterer. There is no doubting that. But there's a condition for the condemnation. If you want to throw the stone at her, there's a requirement that you have to meet in order to be able to do it. And this is what he says. He says, here's the condition. The one who has never sinned, throw the first stone. If you've never sinned, pick up the stone, go for gold, have at it. And then Jesus stoops down again and wrote in the dust. And you can imagine the woman at this point like if I was in her shoes, I, my breathing would start to get real shallow <laughs> and I'd, I'd just be waiting. I'd just like tense up. I'd be like, it's going to come, like I'm going to get hit, like here comes the onslaught because it's only going to take one of them and these are like the best of the best religious dudes and, and I know that surely one of them hasn't sinned and so she, you could just hear her bracing and she hears the sound of the stone but it's not the sound of the stone whistling through the air towards her. It's the sound of the stone thudding into the dust. Because what we find is when the accusers heard this, they slipped away, one by one, beginning with the oldest, until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. And when Jesus is left standing there with the woman, this is what he says, he goes, um, he goes where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? Not one of them. Did, and what he's really saying is there is, was there not one of them that met the condition? Was there not one of them that was able, who had this sinless life, who had never sinned, who was able to throw a stone at you? And she says, no. No, Lord, there, there wasn't. And then this is what Jesus says next. He says, neither do I. And if you can grasp this, because what, what, we, what we believe as followers of Jesus is that, that this, Jesus wasn't a man standing in front of this woman. That Jesus was God entered into history, fully God and fully man. And so Jesus was essentially saying to this woman that I meet the requirement. I meet the condition to condemn you. I have the opportunity because I, I, I'm living up to the bar that I set for these guys, but I don't condemn you. I have the right to, but I choose not to. And then, he, and then he says something else. He adds this. He goes, now go and sin no more. Because what Jesus wants this woman to understand is, is that these leaders have labeled you. These leaders have put a label on your life, but I want you to know that it doesn't have to be the story that you tell. This doesn't have to be something that you begin to say to yourself over and over and over and over again and make it part of your story. You can change the story. And you change that by going and stop doing the same thing that you were doing. 
by going and sinning no more. If you want to not become an adulterer anymore, stop, being, stop uh, having sex with people that aren't your husband. He says, go and change the course of your future. And the thing that Jesus is saying to this woman is the same thing that he's saying to you and to me, that our labels don't have to define our story. That if you want to, you can be part of a greater story. Because really what Jesus is saying to this woman is this, uh, or the whole idea of what John's trying to get across is that the story Jesus tells you about you is greater than the story that you tell you about you. Because we are so quick to label ourselves. And culture is so quick to label us. Just like culture was so quick to label that woman, and she was probably so quick to label herself, and Jesus goes, no, actually, I've got a, I've got a greater story for you. I've got a better story for you. And I want you to begin to experience the story that I believe that you can have. And for some of you, you're like, okay, well, what is that story? What, is that, what does that look like to experience that, that greater story? And this is kind of the application point of, uh, of, our, of our message. And we call our application points here at Beyond Four Monday, mainly because we really want you to know what the application is. Because we believe that church is great. But if, you're just, if you just come to church and that's the end of it, that's not going to change your life. And we believe that if you give up some time, that, that your life should be better for spending time with us. And so we make the, the, the application incredibly clear. And, and it's kind of got a couple of parts for this week's Four Monday. The first one is I want you to identify your stones. I want you to begin to take the labels and I want you to identify your stones. You know, what is it that you believe about yourself, that, you, that you're angry, that you're ugly, that you're a failure. I'm just going to rip these off because that's going to take too long if I put it on every single stone. And you just, you just rip those labels, you take some more time, okay, um, than me. And you I, I pre-identified mine, so it's all good. And you identify what, what your stones are. And, and maybe these are stones that, that you've determined for yourself that maybe you believe something someone told you and so you kind of, uh, over time, have, have created that stone for yourself and so you throw it at yourself by the way that you talk to yourself. Or maybe it's a stone that someone else throws at you and it's the, the way that they speak to you and so over time you've, you've allowed that to be kind of integrated into your thinking and so now that has become your label and your story. And so what I want you to do is I want you to identify your stones and, and then I want you to replace your story with a new story. Because those labels and labels like that, they, they shouldn't be your story. They, that should be no one's story. And so what I want you to do is I want you to replace your story with a new story. And I'm going to tell you what it is, but before I do, I need to kind of give a disclaimer. You're going to cringe, okay? You're going to cringe. You're going to roll your eyes. You're going to say, I knew that a preacher would say something like that. I knew that a church person would say something like that. Those of you who are Christians are going to like switch off because you've heard this a million times. Those of you who, who are maybe leaning in or trying to figure out a little bit more, you're going to be like, well, what does that even mean? Okay, so I'm just letting you know straight up that it's going to make you do that and then I'll explain it, okay? So this is the story I want you to replace it with. Jesus loves you. Pretty cringeworthy, hey? Yeah, yeah, right? Jesus loves you. And here's the thing, right? We Christians, we, we kind of cringe at that. Oh, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so, sure. <laughs> like, I heard that a million times in Sunday school, Chris, okay? But here's the thing. 
do we actually get what this means? If you're a follower of Jesus and, and someone said this to you, do you actually really get what this means? And if you're not a follower of Jesus, I get why this would make no sense to you. Because someone goes to you, Jesus loves you, and you go, yeah, well, so does my mom, and so does my dad, and so does my, like, how does that change anything? My friends love me, but, but why is this Jesus, this carpenter from 2,000 years ago, why does him loving me change anything? And the reason that this story is, is such a great story, the reason that this is worth stepping into and replacing whatever story or whatever label that you've given uh, to yourself, is because what we believe as Christians is that God, God stepped into history the God-man as Jesus. And the reason he had to step into history is because of something that we can all agree on, that you and I are not perfect. And, 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 and the reason we can all agree on it is because this entire series has been around talking about some of the things that we tell ourselves and the ways that we tell ourselves we're not perfect, right? And so if God is completely perfect and we just stick our hands up and we go, you know what, I'm not perfect, who fractured that relationship? It's us, right? It's the imperfect people. Because if you're perfect, you don't do anything to fracture relationships. And, and when there's a fracture of a, of a relationship, when there's a gap, an exchange has to take place. An exchange has to take place. And it costs someone something. Just imagine that you, you accidentally run your car and you rear-end someone. And you damage their bumper bar. And you, you get out and you say, I'm so, so sorry, I'm so sorry. It doesn't change the fact that the damage is there, right? And in that moment, you have some options. You can either pay for the damage or you can get your insurance company to pay for the damage. And when you do that, you absorb the damage, right? You know, you say, you know what, I need to absorb this damage or my insurance company needs to absorb that damage. But say, say you run into the back of a car of a really, really nice person. And they say, you know what, it's, it's fine, you know, I, I just got my tax bonus back and I've got a little bit of extra money and I can see maybe that, you know, I, I don't want to put you out of pocket. What I'll do is I'll pay for it. Even though that person pays for it, it doesn't change the fact that there's a cost that still needs to be absorbed. There's, there's, there's a gap and then there's a dent in that bumper and, and regardless of whether everyone shakes hands and says you're forgiven and moves on, there's still a cost that needs to be absorbed. And that person absorbs it on themselves. And our problem is that, that if we're imperfect, we can never get back to a state of perfection. That's what means, that's the definition of imperfect, that you can never be perfect. And if we can never get back to a state of perfection and we cut that relationship and we, we sever that relationship with God, then that means there's only one way back. That God enters into the gap. That God creates an exchange. And that God absorbs our debt. And Christianity separates itself from every other world religion, from every other kind of thinking. Because New Age spiritualism or Hinduism or Buddhism or Islam says, this is what you have to do to make yourself acceptable to God. Christianity just acknowledges the fact that, you know what, we are not perfect. But God is. And in Christianity, God enters into history. God says, I want to get to know you. And I don't want to put any requirements on it. And I don't want to put any limits on it. And so Jesus steps into history and goes to die a criminal's death on a cross. Jesus is executed to absorb our shortcomings. To absorb our sin. 
to restore a way back to God. And I know that some of you are probably sitting there and you're like, yeah, but you know, what about the God that I've heard about that, that condemns? And what about the God that I've heard about that judges? And, and if you've heard about that God, I just want to tell you, that's not Jesus. Because Jesus' purpose in inviting you to a greater story is restoration, not condemnation. Jesus' whole purpose of coming down to earth is to say, you know what? Yeah, you're not perfect. And I'm not perfect. But I've got a greater story for you. I've got something more than you could ever believe. You don't have to label yourself like this anymore and you can be able to begin to experience a relationship with God who calls you to something greater. And so as we bring the curtain down on this series, there's only one question for you to answer as you leave. What story do you want to tell? When you leave here tonight, do you want to, do you want to continue to live with the labels that you've given yourself or that someone else has given you? Do you want to live with the labels and let them be your story? Or do you want to begin to get to know a God who looks down and says, you know what, your label does not define you. And that label does not and should not be your story. And it doesn't have to be your story, not because of how hard you try and how smart you are and how, how much you show everyone that you're a good Christian. It doesn't have to be your story because of my death on the cross. It doesn't have to be your story because of my sacrifice and because I absorbed everything so that you may have life. So what story do you want to tell? I pray and I hope that you'll begin to step into the greatest story that Jesus has for you because you will not regret it. I'd love to pray right now. Jesus, it can be so difficult to shake some of the labels that we've been given or that we've given ourselves. And Lord, I just pray tonight that, that for some people, that, that tonight would be the night where they begin to shed the labels and shed the stories that they've told themselves for so long. Lord, that they would finally be able to step into the greatest story that you have for them. A story that, that says that they were created with a purpose. A story that says that they were bought with a price, that they are loved and they are valuable, valued because the creator of the universe gave his life for them. Lord, I pray that, that people would begin to put these their stones down. That they would begin to step into the story that you've called them to, the adventure that is so much bigger than anything that we can write for ourselves. And I know that can be challenging to do that. But Lord, I just pray that, that as people begin to take the first step, that you would begin to reveal that story to them and that they would begin to trust you more and more and more and they would begin to see that you came to restore, not to condemn. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.